As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. I was meant to be at the party that night. I was on my way there. And walking past the pub and another mate stuck his head out the window and, oi, come on in. So didn't end up at the party. Went home and I would never answer the phone at night. 
and especially not if I've been drinking. I'm not even going to hear the phone at night. And I got a phone call in the early hours of the morning from my ex-partner and she's gone, they've just killed everybody. Our guest today is from my hometown of Toowoomba in Queensland, and he thought he'd seen his fair share of violence and mayhem by the time he'd sobered up in his mid-twenties. Our guest had already spent quite a bit of his life in the correction system. His first experience was at the notorious Boys Town Centre in Bow Desert. The Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse that was carried out between 2013 and 2017 was dominated by witness accounts of crimes perpetrated against children in institutions run by the Catholic Church. And within that context, Boys Town Bow Desert, run by the De La Salle brothers, received the highest number of child sexual abuse claims made against any Catholic institution in the country. We have a separate episode dropping later this week for ATC Plus subscribers about his Boys Town experience and also about the survivors group that he belongs to. Today, though, we're talking about a terrible turn of events that landed him back in the middle of incredibly senseless violence, just as he was pulling his life together. It was the mid-1990s. He was not long out of jail, again, but this time he was clean, he was sober, and he was a dad. He was even mentoring troubled teens at a drop-in centre in town. 30-year-old Michael Thompson was another mentor at the centre, and he often opened the doors of his nearby flat to kids needing a meal, a place to sleep or a shower. On the night of May 30, 1995, he invited a small group over to the flat for a party. The group was joined by two newcomers who'd blown in just a couple of days earlier from Rockhampton. Our guest, who was literally on his way to Thompson's flat, was distracted that night by an old mate. It was a distraction that may well have saved his life, but it's also left him guilt-ridden ever since. The juvenile offender, who can't be named for legal reasons, was released from prison in 2010, having served three years. The two main offenders remain behind bars and a high priority for the Queensland government, it seems. Scott Jeffrey Magar pleaded guilty on the second day of his trial in the Supreme Court of Queensland to two counts of murder, one of manslaughter and four counts of rape. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a non-parole period of 20 years. The Attorney-General Kerry Shine appealed the sentence, arguing it was manifestly inadequate. The appeal judge agreed and the non-parole period was increased to 30 years. John Brian Woodman was sentenced to life with a 15-year non-parole period. He was a juvenile at the time of the offence as well, which would normally mean his name would remain suppressed. However, in 2007, Attorney General Kerry Shine introduced changes to the Juvenile Justice Act, which meant that due to the heinous nature of his crimes, Woodman could be named. As of January this year, the Parole Board of Queensland ordered that Woodman be banned from applying for parole for at least another eight years which will bring him up to December 2030, despite the fact that he's already served his 15-year minimum. I had a fairly loving, attentive mother, probably fairly typical of the era. Dad worked and then he came home and it was right, now you give Dad space, he comes in, he sits and he 
as his cup of coffee and his dinner and you watch the news and, you know, you, it's not you stay away from him. It's just you don't bug him unless you have to kind of thing, you know. Like that was the fatherhood role in, in that sort of time period. I had a bit of trouble at school, not a significant amount until towards the end of primary school. I was diagnosed as ADHD, um, which probably is a big part of the reason I don't know a lot about my childhood because, you know, back in those days, well, yeah, have, have some more pills. Uh, this will fix you up. You won't get in trouble at school anymore. And then into ho- early high school, I started getting in a, a lot more trouble at school. I uh, was a thief. We always had everything we needed growing up, but we didn't necessarily have everything we wanted. You know, like the other kids at school have got these cool things and like, I don't know, I just I worked out that I was, I could steal these things. It is very definitely not the way I was raised, but it just, it happened and I could do it. And then I worked out that some of this other, you know, a bit more expensive stuff, I, I couldn't steal that, but I could steal other things and sell them or swap them and, and you know, get that other more expensive thing that I wanted and stuff like that. When did you realise that? That's next levelling it. That's not going to Big W and just like putting stuff in your pocket. That's next levelling it, realising, hang on a minute, I can actually turn this around, sell it. How old was that? Pretty young. Uh, I caught it high school, started grade eight with a backpack full of stolen cigarettes. And, and that's what I mean. Like as a, as a my first year of high school, 12-year-old kid, and I'm, I'm doing breaking and enters on canteens on the weekend. That's why I ended up at Boys Town. Look, my mother put her hand up and said, hey, I need help. I can't control him. He's going to end up I, – I was, I was heading to a place where I was going to end up dead. Their solution was, all right, cool, so we'll take him away from you. And I, I went into a foster home first. By that time, I'd started to stand pretty strong on my own two feet. I didn't accept bullying and – Stuff like that. It's like if you want to, if you want to try and stand over me, you're going to have to try pretty hard. Where did you learn to fight? Where did you learn if someone pushes me, I'm going to smack him in the head? That that is something that is very, very much out of character within my family line. Like it, you know, turn the other cheek, sticks and stones. I did not see violence. It, it wasn't until I got out and into the world where I was creating that sort of violence. Were you bullied at school? I was, yeah. I was not bullied a lot at school because I reacted violently. It's yeah. you know, like if you're going to beat on me, well, then I'm going to pick up a stick or a chair or I'm going to stop the bullying right here and now kind of thing. Maybe two weeks in the foster home. And the foster father there just went, no, can't have him, can't do it, get him out of here. So the only real alternative there was Boys Town. How long were you in Boys Town for? So I went in towards the end of grade eight and came out at the end of grade 10. As far as I know, as far as I remember, I was a pretty happy-go-lucky, kind of easy-going kid. Like, you didn't mess with me when I got a little older, but I wasn't that kid. I wasn't the one running around looking for the fights in the schoolyard and stuff like that. By the time I left Boys Town, I was. If I even thought that someone was coming at me, it was I was going to get in first, and I wasn't the type to go toe-to-toe. 
I used to be that guy in the pub that chaired someone in the face over a mouthful of spilt beer. It's just that hyper-aggressive, I'm going to get in and get this done first and fast. It took a very, very long time to get past that and uh, get something resembling a, a, an even keel or a peaceful life. I went the very, very typical route of a lot of the boys that were at Boys Town. I got out of Boys Town, I was basically sent home with nothing kind of thing. It's all right, you, you just graduated grade 10, see you later. I went back to mum's place. Some of the older guys that I was hanging around with started getting into gangs and there was, you know, people carrying knives and street brawls and stuff like that. And I mean, this is Toowoomba, not, you know, so it wasn't the sort of thing you expected in Toowoomba. I, I don't even think it was three months and I was in an actual detention centre. I got myself in some trouble with some pretty heavy guys in Toowoomba. Uh, me and my mate did, so we stole a car and we were heading anywhere else but here. We got picked up by police, given bail. They confiscated, like they locked the car up in the impound yard. They didn't search the car at the time. And there was some stuff in there that we figured we really didn't want the police to find and that they were eventually going to have to look in the car and find it, so we went and broke into the impound yard and stole the car back which obviously it did not go down very well. So no bail this time and off you go to juvenile detention. So I ended up in Sir Leslie Wilson Youth Detention Centre, which is another one of these ones that, like, I mean, they shut the place down because of what it was like in there. I think I was there about three or four months and then I released on a, I call it an intensive correction order, so you've got to do five days a week of community service and councillors' meetings and all this sort of thing. So basically threw me straight back into Toowoomba. Like, you, you know, you have to go. And they put me into another foster home up here. And I went, right, this is where you are. And you don't have a choice. You cannot leave here because you're basically you're on parole. By that time I was a raging addict, raging alcoholic. I got into bigger and bigger stuff like I it was stealing matchbox cars, then it was stealing real cars, then it was escalating as my drug habit escalated. I had to pay for it somehow. What was your drug of choice, by the way? I am a true poly drug abuser. I didn't care what it was as long as it worked, basically. Heroin and amphetamines for a long time. Weed for more years than I care to remember, but it, it would literally be, I'd nick grandma's medication if I thought it'd get me off my face. You know, we're moving toward one particular incident, but this incident is, you know, at this stage still eight years away. So what's going on during this period of time? And look, listeners in Toowoomba are probably going to be unhappy about this, but I think there are, have always been, there are two worlds going on in that town, probably in every town, I guess, but I experienced, I think, both. And I realised, wow, there's two towns going on here at once. And it's like each of them can't see the other. 
There's definitely this kind of dark underworld town, isn't there, going on there. If, if you're a drug user, if you're into that world, it's like you can't even see the other guys anymore. Yeah, and, and it, I'm a social chameleon. I, I knew business owners and I had barbecues in Middle Ridge. And, ah, it's a flash part of town. But then I also spent nights passed out on the front lawn in someone's house in Harlexton. It was a very bizarre world to live in for me at the time because even for a lot of the time I tried to hold down jobs but I'm walking down the street with one group of people and put the blinders on and walk straight past those guys that I'm going to be going and dealing with later tonight. I I ended up in big boy jail. What for? What was the offence? Arson. What for? What happened? Uh, Doing some stuff for some people that I shouldn't have been associated with. But I finally managed to get myself clean while I was in jail. I'd met my partner not long before and we'd been together maybe five or six months and I got sent away for 18 months. I realised that for the first time in my dating life at least I'd found somebody else that I actually gave a damn about. And I decided I wasn't going to screw that one up again. I also had a a young son at the time because it was the worst thing in the world. I was on a bender when I got arrested. I'd been on a two-week bender and this whole series of crimes had happened in that, in that two-week bender and I woke up three or four days later coming down in a prison cell and I had to sit and think about what, you know, where am I going? What am I doing here? Because there's all these other guys there that I'd been at Boys Town with and stuff and I'm looking at them going, no, you guys are just fucked units. I'm not going to run this track as well. And I came out and I got connected with a youth group here in Toowoomba. This youth group runs a drop-in centre where you could come in and have a free lunch on a, on a weekday and, you know, you could come and get out of the weather and they dealt with a lot of these homeless kids and at-risk kids around the place and stuff like that and I was going there and kind of, I guess, acting in an unofficial counselling kind of role because like, so many of these kids had been abused or had drug and alcohol problems or were struggling with sexuality problems and they couldn't always talk to the people that ran the youth group because it was a a Christian-based youth group. So some of these kids could come and talk to me because, you know, I'd been in jail and I'd had a drug problem and I'd had my own sexuality problems and I don't want to sound big-headed or anything like that, but it kind of a lot of these kids kind of looked up to me, I think. Oh, I can absolutely see how they would look up to you, especially as you'd come out of jail clean. I mean, at 24, which is still so young, you had done it all. You have seen it all. And, and I guess that probably is some of the friendships that I did form or that I have formed in my lifetime that have kind of survived because they're like, None of us had anything. There was nothing that none of us could take anything off anyone because we didn't have it. So these young people, some of them, 
we're having a party this night. What was your vibe on these particular people we're talking about up to that point? So the victims in this case, Michael was just, he was that beautiful soul. He was a bit old. He was even a little older than I was. He was 30? Yep. Yep. And that was, so this happened in his unit. And he was one of those guys that the door was always open for someone to come and crash on the floor. If you needed somewhere to go grab a quick shower or a cup of coffee or something like that, that was his home. I mean, he was a social worker, right? Was he, was he an official social worker, Michael no, Ross? No, he was. Right. I mean, I think he, he wanted to be, but like so many of us, you know, struggle with education. Yeah. Struggle with life. And then there were two 17-year-olds at his unit as well. So this is because it's got this drop-in sort of vibe. David and Tyson. Yep. So David was actually dating my ex-partner. The mother of your child? Yep. Like they were guys that were sort of hovering on the edge of that. Like they, they had homes but they weren't always at their home kind of thing. And they just, it was just a bunch of friends. These were just a couple of 17-year-old kids. Uh, And then, what do I mean, these these two ring-ins. So the two offenders, did you know them? So they just turned up in town at at some point. And (sighs) Michael being Michael, you know, they're from out of town. They've just showed up where all the other kids hang out. Have you guys got somewhere to stay? Mm. Do you need somewhere to crash? Gosh. Where were they um, from? They from? Rockhampton. Rocky. So there are there are two of them that we can name. Scott Magar was the ringleader. He was the only one that was initially named. The other offender, John Woodman. You said yes. We ca- who, who we can name. Um, and then the, the the third offender is the one that we can't name. And he was actually part of our social group. He was our friend. How old was he? Fifteen. He was 15. Did he know these other two before this? No, only only from this. Like they've they've popped up you know, a week before or whatever and just sort of been absorbed into the social group. Like this drop-in centre was for anybody and everybody. So you're, I guess, reasonably familiar with Toowoomba, so the Bell Street Mall. So everybody used to hang out down the Bell Street Mall and, you know, it's right, they've got off the bus walked around the corner into the mall and here's this group of people and they just kind of got attached from there and it's like, oh, you know, you guys are from out of town, hey, we're going down the road to get a feed. You know, it's free, come with us. I mean, I didn't have a lot to do with the guys. I didn't have a lot to do with them beforehand. Like I had met them and stuff like that, but because I, I guess I, like I was, you know, working sometimes and I had other groups of friends and stuff that I associated with as well. So I wasn't, I wasn't constantly in this little group, but this was the group that I constantly gravitated back to. I was meant to be at the party that night. Um, what happened? Why didn't you go? Uh, I tripped and fell into a pub. No, I was, I was on, on my way there and uh, walking past the pub and another mate stuck his head out the window and, oi, 
come on in. So, I don't know, he'd had a win on the pokies or Keen or something like that. Well, let's get drunk. So, you know, didn't end up at the party. Went home and I would never answer the phone at night and especially not if I've been drinking. I'm not even going to hear the phone at night. And I got a phone call in the early hours of the morning from my ex-partner and she's gone, they've just killed everybody. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What did people say later about, was was there an argument? What? <sighs> no, they just, I mean, I, it's just sort of little, you know, there's, some booze involved and stuff like that and some little arguments here and there. But no, and obviously I wasn't there. I wasn't in the place that night. But You're very close to people who were. Yeah. So there was, there was a little disagreement, not anything major enough to start taking lives over, but these two had just decided that, yep, we're going to kill everyone. Um, they killed one person first. And they went, well, shit, now we gotta, now we got to kill everybody else as well. Tyson Wilson was the first to die, 17 years old. 
they beat him to death in front of everybody with a pool ball in a stocking and with a chain with a padlock on it. Yeah. Unimaginable. It's unimaginable. And they've made it clear to everybody, nobody's leaving here, I suppose, before they killed this boy. And then they made it clear that they were going to kill other people. They said, you're all going to die. Yep, pretty much. So one of the boys, the 15-year-old, has basically got involved. So he was just a guest at the party, the the juvenile we can't name. And what do you think he... Got involved to try to ingratiate himself to Mm -hmm. save his own life. It's been one of the biggest sticking points I've had over the whole situation for many years. Tell me about that. Tell me about why, about how you feel about that. Because my initial reaction is, and I don't know any of these people and you do, I think, well, anything you can do to alter this situation has got to be worth a try because it's already fucked. They've just killed your friend in front of you. They've beaten him to death and they're saying, we're going to kill all of you. Maybe he wasn't just thinking of himself. If you can just just change the dynamic somehow in any way, it's worth a try. I I don't know. You tell me. What what do you think? So this is something that I did have a a big, a lot of problems around later on. See, the way, I mean, my my mental process is, okay, they might have just killed one of us, but it's still six, seven on two. But they're not you. Yeah. They were just average kids then. All three of them were gentle, generous, loving, caring guys. And the attack they've just witnessed is so brutal and unbelievable. Yeah. And, I mean, it took me a very, very long time before I could even think about him without steam coming out my ears and stuff. He said in his statement to police that he feared for his life and he told the two guys, I'll prove myself. And then he committed the next murder. Yep. He hit David Lyons with a metal pole four times and then picked up a broken bottle and slit his throat. Yeah. Yeah. So David was actually, uh, as I said, David was my ex-partner's boyfriend at the time. And these guys were, they were mates, like good mates. He was good mates with all three of the, the victims. He was considered part of their family. He was, he was like our little brother. The report says he saved the life of your baby. I don't know if you feel that way. Uh, and that, that's actually the mitigating circumstance that uh, influenced the court most when it came to sentencing. Yeah. He placed your baby in a, another bedroom, is that right? Yep. Your ex-partner, though, the mother of your baby, survived. However, she didn't survive unscathed. She was raped boy, the, the two older offenders. Magar and Woodman? Yep. She, she was raped multiple times by them in a bedroom, basically. Like, I, I still kind of, whether it was the juvenile offender's influence or her influence or, or a combination of both, um, she did, yeah, she did what? She had to to survive. Absolutely, and and her mind is on her baby the entire time, no doubt, and she's trying to keep them both alive. Yeah. And, again, I think divert the attention of these lunatics. Remembering, too, that she's just watched her partner get beaten to death. Yes. The person whose unit 
this is all happening in. Michael, in fact, his name's Michael Ross Thompson, isn't it? Michael Thompson. Yep. He's still alive at this stage, but obviously the, the two offenders, Magar and Woodman, are telling him that he's next. Woodman shook hands with him, bizarrely, horribly. It's macabre. And then Michael Thompson pleaded with him and asked him to please kill him in the quickest way. He didn't want to be beaten to death. I think they, they did try. I think they tried to break his neck and then they tried to sever an artery and it didn't work. So, all right, well, now, we'll just, now we're just going to beat you to death anyway. There were three other juvenile females. Oh, my God. They're not attacked? No. And they're not offending against anybody? No. But they, they had a connection to Magar and Woodman. Um, another guy turned up. He turned up. He, he had a vehicle. So he was then a hostage. And you're going to take us away now and they're going to kill you. And so then they've basically, uh, they've jumped in the car and with their hostages and they've taken off to Brisbane. So they've taken the three juvenile girls, they've taken the driver of this car hostage and they've headed towards Brisbane, yep. which is only an hour and a half from Toowoomba. They'd only made it an hour or so when the police pulled, pulled them over on the highway. They used those spikes, didn't they? Threw yeah. those spikes down on the road to pull them over. Yeah, spike strip. So the juvenile offender's gone to a house next door down the road and started you know, getting medical help and police and stuff then. Mm. And my ex-partner has walked across the road. There's a phone box across the road and she's walked in and rang me. She's gone to the phone box and, and rang me. I mean, I, I did not react well to that. It was basically, yeah, sure, all right, well, then shouldn't you be calling the police instead of me? I'll talk to you tomorrow. Who's ever expecting to get a phone call at one o'clock in the morning or something going, hey, everybody's dead. I mean, because I have inhabited a, a very violent corner of the world, it's that stuff didn't happen in Toowoomba. This was not a violent group of people. Well, okay, this is a really bad joke at one o'clock in the morning. Maybe they're pulling a bad joke on me because I didn't show up to the party. You know, you get a phone call in the middle of the night about a car accident, not a house full of people just been killed. And it wasn't until like, the next morning my mother left work early. She'd heard it on the TV at work and, and recognised the unit block and went, oh, shit, and came looking for me and went, like, she, she thought I would have been there. There was some police in the beginning who believed that I may have had some involvement in this. Why? Because I was me. I, I oh was this guy God. that was, I mean, even though I'd been out of jail and was doing my best to keep on the straight and narrow, I was still that crim in the bunch. And I just got a phone call directly after this thing that doesn't happen in this town has just happened and then immediately someone's ringing me. That, that suspected drug dealer, that jailbird, that, that violent person that we know, when, when it came across the radio and stuff, I went, oh, crap, I need to go talk to police. 
And one of the first officers that I had any interaction with was one that I knew on a professional level. It was someone that I had had problems with before, showed me crime scene photos. Because, I mean, you've got to remember, I'm, I'm interviewing with the police at probably 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, this, this crime's six, seven hours old. And he's gone, he's not talking enough here, so I'm going to, if he's involved, I'm going to shock this out of him. I still see images from the crime scene. I did get a very heartfelt apology from him later on when things settled down and shook themselves out. But, you know, like, as the saying goes, it's a bit late to shut the gate when the horse has already bolted. It's too late. You can't take that back. You can't unsee that stuff. It, it blew apart an entire social group. Like a lot of us showed up to court. When was the trial? This crime, this incident was in 2005. Uh, it, took, it took around two years, I think, <sighs> to get up to, and then they all ended up pleading guilty anyway, yeah. which I guess was a good thing in the end. Yeah, but they could have done it in the beginning and saved you all that time and pressure and stress. Um, but that's a lot on a, a group of people. And you had your own relationships. It was tricky anyway because this is your ex-partner. Yeah. Were you able to support her or, uh, Yeah. You know? um, we still talk every now and then. Um, not, not as much as we did back then, but... And you're still with the same partner? Yep. Amazing. So you were really in the process before this night of turning your life into something else, into something that it had never been before. What happened after this? What, what did it become after this? Oh, I, like I said, I fell off the wagon. I started smoking dope again. I started dropping pills. I was just so angry. I did everything I could. I, I tried so hard. I wanted to get into jail and get at them. I was openly abusive towards police. I was, I was fighting in the streets. I was, and I was, at this point, I'm still on a suspended sentence. Like I was trying to get locked up. I wanted to get in there and get to them. I still have times where I catch myself sort of letting that guilt creep in and and at the time that's what it was it was I felt so guilty about not being there that it's okay I couldn't stop this so now I got to go fix this and I got to go and get my hands on them it was the most bizarre situation for like six months in Toowoomba I couldn't get arrested I'd spent my entire life trying to avoid getting arrested and it's like right come get me I want to go to jail and you think I could get a set of handcuffs on I just couldn't get arrested. There was another, a, a, a detective, that I'd had a lot of dealings with when I was a bit younger, when I was really creating havoc around the place, and he and I really did not see eye to eye. We had a really active dislike of each other. He pulled me into a room at the police station one day and sat me down and he said, right, this needs to stop. He said, we are not going to lock you up with these boys. If you got locked up, it would be as far away from them as we could keep you. 
what do you think would have happened if you were there? He said, we would have rang your mother to say you're dead or you'd now be sitting in jail with life sentences for, for killing them in the process of protecting your friends. I mean, probably a dozen people had already tried to say that to me, but for, for it to come from that particular officer really made that difference. And, like, I'm not saying the anger went away, but it made me stop and think and go, is this really the road I want to go down? Mm, absolutely. Because you have a choice, you know, you have a choice about the rest of your life. Um, and Magar, for his part, already in 2008, was done for attacking another prisoner in jail. You know, he's, so he's still carrying out acts of extreme violence in jail. Yeah. In the last few years, I've stepped back a little. I was kind of following a lot of this stuff fairly closely, but I decided it was, it was taking up too much real estate in my head and it was time to stop and step back. I got out of Toowoomba. I moved to a little farm down in the Lockyer Valley, away from the city hustle and bustle. That's that's good. So you just live in the peaceful life, just the two of you? Oh, no, um, you had kids. Oh, my God, I forgot. You, this was our happy ending. Yeah, and all our, we had all our kids young. They're all late teens and off doing their own thing. And we're, we're back to the happy little dating life now. And, oh, that's so nice. You're empty nesters. Yeah, although, um, like we've been, we've been together just over 20 years and um, I finally, finally managed to pop the question here at the end of last year. So we're finally getting married after 20 years. She's been beside me through all of this basically, like I said, right before I went to jail. I don't know, it probably sounds pretty cliched and stuff like that, but I didn't think I was capable of love until I met her. Like, I was too broken. She's been the crutch that I've leaned on at every last point in my life. She's never, she's never seen me fight. She's never seen me lose my shit and get violent. I've managed to keep that away from her. But pretty much everything else, you know, like when I've been laying on the floor overdosing, when I've been psychotic, I was, I was hospitalised a few times for dissociative events or psychotic breaks or whatever you want to call it, at every up and down. Without her standing by, I probably wouldn't have made it this far. It's been a journey. Like it's great that you, many people never find their soulmate like you have. So you just live in the peaceful life. As, as the saying goes in the country, if you can't pee off your patio without your neighbours seeing, they're too close. So, I did not know that was how the saying went. Okay. Good. So we don't have to worry about peeing off the patio. Thank you to our very generous guest today, Stretch, and thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.